Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. International News Review. Welcome back to Money FM 89.3. Money FM, we are going to head over now to our International News Review with Steve Oaken. I see him coming up now. Good morning, Steve. How you doing? Good morning, Neil. Good morning, Boomer. Oh, ouch. We're going to start that way, are we? Okay, all right. Okay, just remember, uh, payback is a dish best served hey, cold. You didn't know. You didn't know to do, man. You didn't know the Netflix logo. So that's it. And a special welcome this morning to Tammy Overby as well, Senior Director at McClarty Associates. Hi, Tammy. How are you? I'm well, and I take offense at that boomer comment. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> We're totally there, right? With He's you. taken a risk because many of our lovely loyal yeah. listeners mm. are of a, a certain vintage a certain maturity. <laughs> you put it out there, Steve. That's <laughs> you have to, Neil, us Gen Xers have to stay together. Please uh, don't bring me your, to it. Don't bring me to please, it. Please direct your comments to Steve Oaken's Facebook page. He loves comments. <laughs> he does on his Facebook page. So, all right, hey, let's get started. We got lots to talk about. Uh, the UNGA UN General Assembly is uh, in full swing. This week has been a very busy week, uh, talking about uh, COVID, climate change, geopolitics. So many things happening. Steve, start us off with um, with talking about the climate change, especially and where where that went this week. Well, you know, Secretary Gutierrez kind of kicked off the, the General Assembly, you know, warning humanity that we are on track for a hellscape uh, and that it, we're, we're facing catastrophe. So that kind of set the tone, you know, for the week. Yeah, uh, and, like, uh, you know, the world has probably never faced more challenges. I mean, you've got kind of the three C's all coming together. Obviously, we're still dealing with COVID. We're, if we're not in a Cold War, and I don't think we are, we're certainly in an era of confrontation um, in, in heavy competition between between the great powers. And you've got the existential threat of, of climate change. The UN is supposed to deal with all of those things. A, a cynic can say that the UN is incapable of dealing with those the way it's structured. But a lot happens behind the scenes. Um, and that maybe there is some optimism when it comes to climate, COVID and, and competition. Tammy, uh, bringing yourself in there, I mean, I was watching it this week. You've got the British Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, saying it's a turning point for humanity. This is when he wasn't making bizarre Kermit the Frog references. <laughs> where do you stand on this, Tammy? Do you, are you upbeat? Are you downbeat? Where, where are you on this? Well, I'm, I'm upbeat because the alternative is just too, too dark. <laughs> but, but I do think that, yeah. you know, the the recognition of where the world is and the fact that we can't avoid this anymore. Uh, every day there's a new headline, you know, fires, uh, floods. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I, the world has to come together because we don't have a choice. Absolutely. Yeah, That's- yeah go ahead, Tammy. Oh, are you there? Yeah, she's there. She's finished. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I, I thought you were going to say something else. Okay. Um, you know, when, when we look at, at all of these countries talking about different things, the U.S. has obviously, you know, tried to position itself in the center of all this, of all this, and China has made some work. But the U.S. has had its work cut out for itself in dealing with France and the European Union following the, uh, the, the sub the submarine issue. <laughs> I'll just put it that way. Steve, uh, is does Biden have the, I guess, the punch, the power, this sitting of the UN General Assembly that he, he might otherwise have had without these distracting issues? 
well, I don't know if you'd call them distracting issues. And what, you know, is always frustrating, I found when, you know, President Trump came in and he said, well, we're going to make America first. Uh, and that like showing that other presidents before him didn't put America first. Well, every president puts America first. And and I think that what you saw here was, you know, President Biden, when we you know talk about, you know, the the submarine agreement between the U.S., the U.K. and and uh, uh, in Australia mm. is that this is where the U.S. is going to lead first and that it could have been done much more effectively. But this was still the way you needed to go because the U.S. wanted to see competition come in first uh, with China. And then you worry about multilateralism later. It kind of made the U.N. a little bit more difficult for the United States, though, leading into this with the timing on top of the unilateral withdrawal with with Afghanistan. So the U.S. has a long way to go in terms of working multilateral. Yeah, but it's fascinating, Tammy, isn't it? The, the the breakdown, if that's not too strong a word, between French and and U.S. relations, if it's temporarily. I mean, Blinken, you mentioned there. I didn't know this until I read this week that Blinken actually grew up uh, partly in Paris, and is fluent in French, and uh, is very upset about the current situation. As you know, the ambassadors were withdrawn, and that didn't happen, I believe. Stephen Glenn will correct me. That didn't even happen during the so-called fallout over the Iraq War, uh, 2004. You know, the whole freedom fries when the U.S and the mm. French relations were quite mm. tense. Even then, the ambassadors were not withdrawn as they have been here. So there is a, a real fallout between French and US counterparts here, Tammy, that will take a bit of time to mend. Um, actually, I think the mending has already begun. Um, mm. uh, I do think that um, Secretary Blinken's, um, his history with France mm. and his deep there have helped broker some, uh, some movement. So... Uh, while, you know, as Steve said, it was it could have been handled much smoother. It was a bit ham-fisted. Uh, but I, I think uh, we have too many major issues that uh, we need to be working together on. So, uh, and I think one of the other issues that they were suggesting might have been slowed down was uh, the U.S.-EU Tech Council meeting next week. Uh, late this afternoon, uh, the EU announced it is moving forward. So... Um, you know, while it was unfortunate, but I don't think it's just a lot. Right. Steve, I thought it was interesting, uh, just kind of a side note to the U.S., uh, France, U.K., and Australia uh, issue, was that France is now preparing a bill that they're going to send to the Australians, uh, like, hey, you broke the contract? It's going to cost you. All right. You know, bad feelings, hurt feelings aside, uh, show us the money. Uh, from what you know about that, uh, you know, it, it, what, did, what did you see or what did you think when you read that? I mean, no surprise whatsoever. I mean, yeah. if there's a contract, uh, you know, and, you know, you kind of learn in law school, right? Contracts are made to be broken. And so what you want to make sure is if one side breaks the contract, that the other side gets compensated fairly. If you trusted the other side completely, you wouldn't need a contract. And so, yeah, that, that this is a standard practice between governments, between, you know, between individuals, between between businesses. Now, the Australians have said the, the French were overrunning costs and that uh, they weren't complying with what was intended with the agreement. And so there's certainly going to be a negotiation over this. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, Australia saw that it was in its national interest to break the contract with France uh, and then move towards the U.S. and U.K., become one of the few countries in the world that has, a, a you know, nuclear propulsion submarines, because they need that now, given what China has been doing um, in this mm. part of the world. 
Tell me, as someone who uh, advises clients on Asia and trade matters, and you've spent a lot of time in Korea in particular, I'm very interested to know what you think this impact will have, if any, on this part of the world. Um, I, I think it absolutely will have an impact. Uh, I also think that the U.S. Gov- you're going to see the U.S. government uh, bending over backwards to try to uh, mollify France uh, in another venue. Uh, but I think it was so important for security in Asia. Um, you know, it's no surprise that we had the first in-person quad meeting today uh, with President Biden, uh, Australia, uh, India, and Japan. Uh, you know, Suga only has a couple of days left as leader of his party, and yet uh, he spent a day in Washington. So, um, yeah, I, it, absolutely, it's a major impact. Hmm. Let's uh, let's move forward. Uh, China is saying now that they are going to ban all cryptocurrencies, uh, which is uh, obviously sending some shockwaves through that community, and also uh, maybe raising questions about what other governments might do if they would uh, see this as a trend and be able to follow suit. Steve, take us through that because she is uh, also at the UN General Assembly, uh, and he's got a, he's got a lot of things on his plate right now as well. Well, I mean, well, one, I mean, if anybody is shocked that China is, is clamping down on cryptocurrency, they're, they're not following what China uh, has historically done in, in certain sectors. And then you, come, you combine the, you know, what cryptocurrency can be used for. Obviously, it's, a, it's an alternative uh, to sovereign currencies. And so governments don't like that. And, mm. and the Chinese can act a lot, a lot faster and tougher than the U.S. can. But let's see what the U.S. does on crypto. But you've got the environmental aspect. And, mm. and President Xi, you know, at his at his pre-recorded speech, he wasn't there in person like President Biden, but his pre-recorded speech, he said China is going to stop building, you know, coal powered, uh, you know, electricity generation abroad. Now, we don't know what stopping building means. Does it mean that they <laughs> the Chinese governments will stop constructing or more importantly, does it mean the Chinese will stop financing? That would be much more important unclear what that means, but at least it's a step in the right direction. And the mining of cryptocurrencies, which take a lot of, of power generation to, to, to do, take place predominantly in China. And because that's where a lot of the cheap electricity is, because that's where the coal is that generates the electricity. So China is paying a huge environmental price when it comes to cryptocurrency, getting no benefits. And the government is obviously worried about control when it comes to to financial transactions. So anyone who's surprised that for environmental reasons and for, you know, financial control reasons that China would ban cryptocurrency, I don't think has been paying a lot of attention. Well, on that point, Tammy, I mean, Steve, clearly states we've talked about it on this show many times this is a clear shift in chinese policy now they're trying to reassert control there's a shift away from fraud money laundering and of course the key point here is that excessive energy usage that cryptocurrency involves which is phenomenal do you see that uh, i mean it, this is an ongoing process in china but do you see this rolling out across other countries in this in this region i, I think it i think everybody's watching china very closely and uh, the same environmental concerns everyone has. So uh, it wouldn't be that much of a surprise. Everybody wants to have control of their financial markets. So uh, let's see. But I, it wouldn't surprise me. Well, look, I, you know, I see this as a very convenient excuse by any government that wants to keep control of their fiat currency, yep. whatever it is. Look, you know, we, we all understand that, that the power taken in cryptocurrency is a lot. But, you know, China is 60 percent 
60 percent uh, or just shy of uh, powered by coal. Let's get real about where the real issue is for the environment. It is, you know, they are the biggest polluter on the planet when it comes to fossil fuels, uh, you know, along with the U.S. So, uh, you know, to me, this whole, oh, we're going to save the environment uh, argument to get rid of cryptocurrency. I don't think so. I think it's much more about they want to have control, control. over the financial sector yeah. and the fiat. Let, yeah, what? go ahead, Tammy. Yeah, I, let me be clear. I was not saying I agree with what they said the reason was. Yeah. But I think spot on. I mean, just look at a whole host of areas where China is clamping down, mm. uh, you know, whether the Uyghurs or um, uh, Hong Kong or being more aggressive in Taiwan. Uh, and it was no accident that they announced last week that they want to join the CPTPP. So, yeah, um, I, I'm often suspicious of what their announcements mm. are. But I would say that. But both things can be true, right? I mean, you do need to do something about sure. the environment. China is making pledges on, on getting to carbon neutrality and, and getting peak carbon emissions. And there is no way they can get there if there's going to be continued mining of cryptocurrency in that country. It's impossible. And it's, you know, like Singapore, I think, still has its moratorium on new data centers here because so much of the electricity generated uh, and used in Singapore is for data centers, and you can't do it anymore. So it's a real issue for the industry, mm. um, not just not just crypto and blockchain, um, but but data centers as well. So it's a lot is going to be happening. So Glenn, yes, yeah. you could you could you could be a cynic on it, and there could be other reasons they're doing it, but doesn't mean they shouldn't be doing it for environmental reasons. Uh, I totally, I totally agree with you, Steve. But I thought that you know <laughs> this whole oh we want to save the world. Uh, you know, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't I'm not. I think we need to look further than that. No, it's power. I mean, the fact yeah. that even clamping down on tuition centers and the education industry, which affects me personally, but I'm not bitter about it at yeah, all. Not at all. Uh, Never just, hardly mention it. No, just shows you <laughs> it's a power battle. All right, uh, let's move on to our, our, our last topic here, and that is Vietnam at the uh, United Nations General Assembly. Tammy, let's start off with you. Uh, what role? What role? And what messages are they giving uh, this year at, at the United Nations? So President Fook was there. He, um, th there were a handful of, of leaders that were taking meetings with the business community. He was one of them, uh, and he had quite a he had uh, quite a few small meetings. Uh, they said they were small because of COVID, uh, but uh, I, his message was clearly: Vietnam is open for business. If you you know we need more investment. Um, obviously, they have a huge COVID challenge that he's trying to overcome. Uh, but he, uh, he, I saw him meet with at least a dozen companies. Um, so the message was Vietnam's open for business. Open for business, and yet their own citizens can't even leave their homes at the moment. Well, yeah. So isn't that a isn't that a hard uh, isn't that a hard sell at this moment? Obviously, he's taking a longer term view. But uh, Steve, how does he get around that? I mean, it's it, it is brutal there. I've got friends that I was talking to last week who are in uh, Ho Chi Minh City. They literally cannot go out but once a week just to get groceries, and the police are on the corners checking to make sure. Look, you got to look long term. In relatively speaking, as much as there's a frustration with expats uh, and locals, of course, here in, in Singapore with all the restrictions, this is still a place that's very attractive for business. And, and part of it is relative, right? Compare Singapore today to Hong Kong. Compare Singapore with all the growth that's going to come in Southeast Asia. Companies still want to be here. Companies are still moving here. Vietnam's the same. Vietnam is an extraordinarily attractive market because of the demographics there, because of where it stands within China, because of the supply chain. So, yeah, you may short term be frustrated with Vietnam. But, you know, as Tammy will, will attest, 
this is a market you really want to be in. Yeah. Steve, the other part about Vietnam is um, when they joined the Trans-Pacific Partnership, now CPTPP, um, they agreed to high standards, to comprehensive rules, to rule of law, to protecting intellectual property rights. So uh, it is the place to look at in Asia these days. I don't disagree, Tammy, but knowing that you were coming on, I had a look at some figures here, and uh, I don't know if these are the absolute latest figures, but I read that the fully vaccinated people in Vietnam stands at only 6.3%. It may have, may have gone up slightly since then. Uh, 16%, uh, 27% of Vietnam's population have received at least one jab. So you, we mentioned the long term, but short term, there are still some issues there, Tammy, aren't there? Oh, absolutely. And the foreign business community in Vietnam, the uh, AmCham's, the EU Chams, uh, even the Japanese Business Association have urged the Vietnamese government to, to um, explain their that they have a plan and the president privately uh, laid it out for the business leaders that uh, that I was in the meeting with. Uh, but he needs to do that publicly um, and he needs to make it clear to everyone that we do have a plan and here's what it is. Mm, indeed. Well, thank you very much, uh, both for for that. Uh, lots going, lots going on in our ever evolving world, as we all know. But it was interesting to see so many leaders at the UN this week. It was. And just to wrap it up, speaking of leaders, uh, Steve, your wife is watching this <laughs> from, from quarantine. So, do you have any messages <laughs> for your, since for, you can't see your you know wife in person? We are bringing yeah. couples together yes. on Money FM. That's what we do. That's what we do. It's all about the that, love. You know, it's, it's the, the, the house is still standing, I think, is the main message to deliver. Well, he's only doing it from this room because the other rooms are currently on fire. <laughs> All right. Thanks to yeah. you both. We appreciate your time today. Uh, Tammy Overby uh, and Steve Oaken, both of McClarty Associates. Great to have you with us today. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> International News Review. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.